Good morning. I'm just going to put that down a bit. Well, it's easy in our world and our day and age to get despondent about justice, isn't it? Um, there's so many social and environmental issues that just kind of keep begging for our attention and for our concern. And the justice needs around us just seem to, to keep coming. Uh, and so many things happen at the big systematic level that, you know, stomp on people's rights. Um, and we just feel that nothing ever seems to get done about it. The battle for justice just feels like it gets harder and more complex. And inquiries and royal commissions, they outline all these recommendations, but the system, even, even with all of those recommendations and even with all that attention, the system seems to hardly change. Um, and if they do get better, it happens incredibly slowly. I think it's hard to stay hopeful in these spaces, isn't it? It's hard sometimes to believe that justice is actually possible, that justice will come. Uh, and for many people who are victims of crime, even if their case has been to court and their perpetrator has been convicted and sentenced, they still often feel that true justice has eluded them, that something's been taken from them that can never be restored. Even if they've received compensation, it never seems to fully compensate for the trauma and the pain and the grief that they still have to live with. Is true justice possible? A couple of weeks ago, we looked at Jesus' teaching about um, causing others to stumble, and we acknowledged the harm sometimes done by Christians who significantly deter people from a trust in God. We acknowledged the many people among us and around us who live with the scars and pain of those hurts. Last week, Jerome explained about Jesus' teaching of judgment and helped us to see that judgment um, ultimately will be a good thing. God's final judgment will bring all evil in the world to account and will bring a final righting of all wrongs. And today, in this passage, Jesus teaches us in more detail, I think, about that justice, about his kind of justice. So I just want to acknowledge from the outset that this might be a confronting word for some people, both for people who feel that they've been significantly hurt by another person, uh, as well as for people who are very well aware of the hurt and trauma that they have caused others, whether intentional or not. But the Holy Spirit is here, and I'm trusting his word to you today and the work that he wants to do in you through this. So Luke begins by uh, framing Jesus' next parable as a teaching about persistent prayer and an exhortation not to lose heart. And Jesus begins by painting a picture of a callous judge, a judge who didn't care about people's opinions or their needs. We're told that he neither feared God nor had respect for people. I think he's someone who represents the crass, powerful decision makers in society and he's approached by a widow, a person at the opposite end of society who's incredibly vulnerable and we realise that she is also a victim. We don't know what's happened, we don't know how she's been wronged, um, we don't know if it's a financial matter 
or some form of other mistreatment or what it is that she's actually seeking justice about. But she persists in bringing her plea before this judge. She needs justice. She needs her adversary to be brought to account. And for whatever wrong that's happened, that's being committed against her, she needs it to stop. And she keeps at it. She persists. Again and again, she pleads this judge for justice. And the parable ends with an unexpected outcome. The judge decides to actually grant her request. Sure, it might be out of self-interest, but nevertheless, he grants it. And she gets justice. And then Jesus explains in verse 7 that if such an ungodly, callous and unjust man can grant justice to such a vulnerable person, how much more will God willingly and quickly bring about justice for his beloved people? Jesus is drawing out this beautifully assuring truth that God loves justice. He's not disinterested or blasé about issues of injustice. And unlike the judge in the parable, he won't ignore his beloved's cries for justice. No, he loves justice. And he has the power to deliver it. This is his heart. Isn't this beautiful? In our context when justice seems so hard to come by, here is a God who willingly and capably administers it. So don't lose heart. Keep praying for justice to flow in our world. And this, I think, um, has actually really inspired me to be more prayerful about justice issues. And even just to pick one issue that I'm passionate about and, and pray for it every day. Because God will act. Let's live and pray like we believe it. And in this parable, I think we see the gospel, the good news for victims. That God is a God who loves justice and wants it as much as you do. Who sees you and knows what you've been through. And knows even the silent pleas of your heart. And we can trust God's ultimate plan to bring justice to you. True justice. Justice that satisfies. Justice that does more than conviction and compensation. Justice that even frees you. In 2005, in East London, a teenage girl called Charlotte was stabbed at a friend's 16th birthday party by another teenage girl um, named Beatrice. Beatrice had come to the party armed with two knives and she was all hyped up, she'd been smoking weed and she was ready to do damage towards another girl who had been bullying her. But this other girl hadn't come to the party that night. Instead, Charlotte was the one who felt Beatrice's wrath that night. Charlotte was rushed to hospital, but she couldn't be saved. The wound had proven fatal. Charlotte's mum, Mary, as you can imagine, was absolutely devastated. In her grief, she struggled with feeling angry, bitter and resentful towards Beatrice. And I'm going to um, read out something that she said. 
She describes it this way. She says, I was justified to be angry. I was justified to be bitter. I was justified to be unforgiving. I was justified to have the power to get her set up in prison and get her done over with. But when these thoughts came over me, it made me feel horrible, a horrible person inside. If I carried on like this, the people I loved would have been affected. And I didn't like what these negative feelings were doing to me physically. They were clouding my every decision. Everything was horrible and dark. Being a victim is also like being a prisoner, trapped in an evil that continues to violate your soul, that changes who you are, that warps what was once good and that continually robs you of peace. And even our own justification of it can't alleviate that suffering. But God's justice, true justice, reaches even to those dark places within us and frees us from the hold those wrongs have over our souls. This is good news. This is the good news of Jesus for victims. Because when Jesus died on the cross, he did so in solidarity and identification with the victim as a fellow brother who has suffered violence. And yet Jesus didn't stay dead, it didn't defeat him. At his resurrection, he arose in new life, no longer a victim, but now the victor. And so he makes the way possible for every victim to emerge restored and renewed, where the hurt and the pain is lifted and a sense of self is brought back to life. Miroslav Volf, a well-recognised theologian, he writes a lot in this space and he says, Since the crucified one was raised by the power of the God who makes all things new, we are promised a new future freed from the dead hand of the past. This hope is yours, guaranteed, absolute in Christ. And then Jesus finishes this parable with the question, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Will he find the kind of faith that looks to him and believes in him for this level of justice and healing? That faithfully, hopefully and expectantly seeks him for this kind of justice in our world? This is often where the teaching ends on this parable. But immediately after this parable about a victim seeking justice is a parable about a perpetrator seeking mercy. Often we read these parables in isolation and we forget to hold the thread that the writer is weaving between them. Today I want us to have the courage to see this thread because Jesus is about to show us something more. And so he begins with a great opener. Two men went up to pray, like the three men in a bar picture. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Again, these two guys couldn't be further apart in their social and religious standing. Pharisees belonging to, um, belong to the most pious, elite religious movement, while tax collectors were the most despised profession. 
Tax collectors were men who were despised for selling themselves out as instruments of Rome to tax and profit from their own people. So they were considered enemies amongst their own people and instruments of Rome's colonisation and oppression, instruments of Rome's violation of them as a people. And the Pharisee prays, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. And he goes on to assert his own righteous acts. But then in verse 13, we see the tax collector's prayer. And, he, and we read, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. This man doesn't even feel that he can even approach God. And he beats his chest as an expression of inner turmoil and the sincere plea of his heart for mercy. And his prayer, God have mercy on me, a sinner, is a longing for a release from judgment. It's a plea for pardon as one who knows that he's unworthy of it before the judge who sees and knows his guilt. For this tax collector, no form of self-justification can cut it. It's not enough and it's never going to be enough to release the torment of guilt. He needs forgiveness. He needs pardon. So in this parable, we actually see good news for perpetrators. That God is a God who loves mercy. We can trust absolutely in his mercy towards those who humbly repent and sincerely seek it. Because on the cross, Jesus identifies with and represents perpetrators too. He became the object of God's justice. 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us that he became sin for us. Why? So that sinners, so that perpetrators, so that horror makers could walk free, forgiven, pardoned, cleansed, remade, no longer bound to the evil they inflicted. The gospel of Jesus secures a different story for them too. Jesus goes on to tell us in verse 14 that this man, rather than the other, rather than the Pharisee, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Justified before God. No longer labelled as guilty, but renamed innocent like the victimized widow who pleaded her case and received justice. He is a perpetrator pleading for mercy and it's given. Do these stories really belong together? Can justice and mercy really sit side by side? I think they can because I think Jesus is wanting us to be like both to understand our needs through the lens of both the widow and the tax collector, to be completely dependent on him for the very deepest needs of our souls. Because when we think about it, 
We're all victims. We've all been born into a world that's broken and that breaks us. Yes, to different extents. But we can all say that sin has hurt us. We all need justice. We all need someone to take up our cause. And at the same time, we're all horror makers, if I can use that term. I've used it before, I like it. We, we all cause, and we all can, even when we're not trying, tear at the life of others and tear it out of others. Even if we try not to be, sometimes it just happens. Um, this week, I was pulling out of a car park at the primary school. Um, my front of the car was facing forward. I wasn't reversing, and there was a massive four-wheel drive park next to me, and so I couldn't see if anyone was about to walk in front of me. So I had to creep really slowly forward just to make sure. And our cars are hybrid, so you can't hear it. It's silent when it's not really moving. Um, and all of a sudden, this little girl just runs right in front of the car. Um, so of I stopped, of course, but um, she managed to hit her finger on the car. Um, thankfully, that was all. But that could have been so much worse if I wasn't aware and I wasn't thinking how many people have to live with the guilt of tragedies that were simply accidents? Accidents happen, we all make mistakes. We're all horror makers, even when we're trying not to be, and we all need mercy. The good news is that God is a God who meets us in both those needs. I think Jesus is trying to get us to see that justice and mercy are two sides of the same coin. And that coin is called peace. Peace with God and peace with one another. Peace that isn't possible through self-justification or self-righteousness, but that only comes through the justice and mercy of God. Uh, Phil Togwell, he's um, a leader in an international prayer movement called 24-7. He says that true justice is not merely the meeting out of punishment, but it is the making of peace, God's peace, wholeness, healing, reconciliation, shalom. Going back to the story I was sharing before about Mary, Charlotte's mum, when she began to understand this and when she began to recognise the horror maker within herself and the victim within Beatrice, the, um, her daughter's murderer, and she started looking to Christ in her grief and her pain, she was able to forgive Beatrice. Even as a heartbroken victim, Mary was able to let go of self-justification and she was able to see God's justice in Christ's death on the cross and she was able to release mercy and in this she found peace and Mary actually now has a relationship with Beatrice and has been able to speak into her life and help Beatrice find closure and healing and to value her life and the lives of others. I think what these two parables together are doing is saying yes justice is possible in fact, it's a given with God. It's his heart. But at the same time, so is mercy. Justice and mercy both flow freely from the heart of God. And because of that, saints and sinners, victims and perpetrators, 
can find life together in him. They can sit around the same table. This is the high call of God's heart for us, to be a community of once victims and horror makers now bound together by the fruit of God's justice and mercy, bound together in peace. This is his new humanity, reconciled through Jesus Christ, living in the peace that he has enabled. How is this sitting for you at the moment? Is the Holy Spirit bringing up for you your need for true, soul-satisfying justice? Or your need for mercy? Or both? Is he bringing before you that awareness that, yeah, you really need that peace of heart and mind? That healing of memories? That darkness to be lifted? I want you to ask God for that right now and I just want to give space for that right now if that's okay I'm just going to pray for us just if you'd like to just close your eyes as well Jesus would you pour out your spirit right now and bring your healing pour out your mercy and peace Lord would you begin to heal those memories would you Cover them in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. The one who absorbed your judgment and the one who absorbed our pain. And we ask you now to lift and take off of our souls that heavy burden of pain, whether it was done to us or whether we were the ones who did it. Take it now, Jesus. And heal us in your peace. We need your justice and your mercy. We need your peace, Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. If you just prayed that prayer with me, Jerome and I would be happy to chat with you and pray with you further after church. But before I finish, I just want to say this. I believe that God is using this word today to stir us to be a people of peace. Peacemakers in this us versus them world. People who live not with self-righteous justification, nor without concern for justice but as people who are humbly aware of our dependence on the mercy and the justice of God. People who can intercede and plead on behalf of others before God for his healing peace in their lives. So that when the Son of Man comes, he will find faith on the earth. He will find a people who live with a hopeful trust and assurance that God is at work in Christ offering his justice and mercy freely to all those who ask. Amen.